Welcome to Earthy, where eco-loving meets adventure living. Here you'll enjoy stories from people living lives based on what they love. If you're sick of depressing news, you're in the right place. Earthy is designed to inspire and teach you about sustainability, earth-friendly lifestyles, travel, and well-being. Your host is an adventure and lifestyle author, Shannon Annette. everyone, you're in for a treat today. But before I get to the show, I just wanted to make the announcement that I published Becoming a Nomad, The Modern Guide for the Wanderer, and it's packed with travel hacks and tips that I've learned along the way. And when I run into people and they ask me, how do I afford to travel so much? I tell them these tips and they're like, could you write all that down? I'm never going to remember it. So well, I wrote it all down. All right, now let's get to it. I have with me Derek Barron from Wandering Earl. This guy seems amazing virtually. I can't wait to talk to him, literally. Um, He has been a nomad since 1999. He's been featured on New York Times, the National Geographic Traveler, Time Magazine, uh, BBC, CNN, and more. So we're really excited to have you here, Derek. Thank you for joining us. No, thanks so much for having me. I, I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, this has become a very popular way of living, and, and it should. It's a great way to live, but you have been doing this since sort of the beginning. As of today, you've been to 88 countries and have roamed this earth in, as a wanderer for 5,511 days. That's insane. Tell me about Tell me it about It's insane to it, me. I know, right? I mean, the, it's just it's amazing to see how long you know someone can do this and, and have it be self-sustaining. Um Let's start by telling me a little bit about what your life was like 16 years ago before all this happened and sort of how it came to be. Sure. I mean, it's just sort of quite quite a normal North American lifestyle. I just, I, I had actually just graduated university. I had studied uh, sports management, sports law. So I was pretty gung-ho about becoming a sports agent. Uh-huh. I just, I, that's what I thought I wanted to do. So I was pretty excited about it. Um, I graduated from university back in 99 and Basically, as a graduation gift to myself, I thought, you know, I had this tiny, tiny, tiny bit of curiosity about about what was beyond and out, out there in the world. So I thought, you know what, I would like to take a three-month trip to Southeast Asia, see some places that I had seen in magazines and in Thailand and Cambodia, and that's it. That would be a gift to myself, and then I would get right into my career. So that's pretty much what I did. Uh, I ended up, I saved a little bit of money first, and then I went out on Christmas Day, 99. I flew to uh, Bangkok, mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much uh, a week later, I was celebrating the millennium in Angkor Wat in Cambodia, and uh, beautiful, you know, uh, ancient temples in the jungle there, and pretty much it was that night where I was like, okay, I'm not going home in three months. Like, I just realized right there that the experiences that I had, had in that first week were more, were just so rewarding that I had to find a way to keep it going. Wow. Now, where did you go to university? Where are you from? Uh, so I'm actually originally from Boston, but uh, it should have been a hint, I guess, uh, that I went to university in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, Emory University. I then went to university at UMass uh, Amherst, uh, University of Massachusetts, and I also spent a semester in studying in Melbourne, Australia. So wow. I, could, I couldn't sit still then, so I probably should have got the idea that uh, <laughs> travel should play a larger role in my life. Yeah. Now, you say you saved up a modest amount of money. I read in your blog you left with something around the tune of $1,500 to your name, and this is before yep. you had a plan of not returning. Um, yep. Logistically, that sounds very challenging. Walk me through how you, know, you transitioned during that time at those temples to, hey, I don't want to stop doing this. How did you make that happen for yourself? Sure, yeah. I mean, the $1,500 
500, I thought I was like, perfect, 500 bucks a month, three months, I'll be good to go. And back then, it, you know, it was pretty easy. I was planning on doing budget traveling and I was perfect. Uh, and then when I made the decision, yeah, of course, I got super excited. I was like, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and travel indefinitely, see what I can do and keep this going. And of course, I sobered up a couple of days later, just <laughs> in, my th- in my thinking and just being like, well, wait a minute, this $1,500 is going to last three months. Not, it's definitely not going to last indefinitely. So basically what I started doing, I just, you know, I continued with my plan of traveling through Cambodia and Vietnam. But what I did, the difference was now I just started talking to everybody that I met and trying to learn their experiences, how long they've been traveling, any tips they had, maybe ways that they had learned how to uh, travel for longer periods of time and to earn money on the road. Because back then I couldn't just go on Google and find millions of examples of people who had done it. So I was just trying to talk to people. So in the end, I one person I met told me about, oh man, you should go to uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand. It's a great place to teach English informally. So I went there with a friend. We put up posters in the, at the university there saying native English speaker willing to teach uh, conversational English. We got a hundred calls. We set up classes basically in a field and we would just have conversational English classes for a while. And basically I did this for uh, several months as a way to sort of buy me some time. I made enough money to survive in Thailand and, um, and then from there, just again, from talking to people, I met someone else who said, ah, you would be perfect for working on cruise ships. So I ended up applying and I ended up working on and off as a tour manager on board cruise ships over the years. And then a friend said, man, you should, you should write up, you should start a blog. You should start working, try start working online. There's all these new opportunities. So in 2008, I started working online. I was like, oh, let me try this. So it's sort of just kind of been a bunch of different ways put together that, mm-hmm. uh, that have somehow made, made it happen. So basically the moral of the story is be social and, and everyone else will tell you what, what you need to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing is that there's always example. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's basically oh, the more people you talk to, the more you're going to learn about how possible it really is. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. My confidence kept growing with every person that I talked to, even if they said, oh, I figured out a way to travel for an extra three months by doing this. Great. That gave me some more confidence. And the more, now you can talk to so many more people even online. And mm-hmm. it's just very right. easy to get the confidence in yourself that you can do it because so many other people have done it. Right. And I would imagine every month that you came out on top and not, you know, begging for money and, and not hungry Absolutely. would yeah, really raise that confidence level for you. Absolutely. And then you just keep building on it and building on it and you start learning about the other countries that you can go to, you know, and, and you start figuring out how to make your money. You know, the more you travel, the more you figure out how to make mm-hmm. your money last longer. So all these factors that all of a sudden before long, you're realizing, wow, this wasn't, it's happening. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. as hard as I, as I would have thought, or I did think in the beginning and yeah, I just kind of it all pieced together and, and, uh, and goes forward. Yeah. And you know, um, that the, everyone's first question, you know, to you or, or other roamers is, well, how do you afford it? And that was your first question to other people you, you know, that you were uh, traveling with, you know, and learning. Um, I think you did a great job on your blog, um, spelling it out. You kind of gave like a timeline. Okay. From this mm-hmm. time, this is what, how I made money. And this is how much I saved up in this period. This is how I made money. Cause obviously you haven't stuck with one thing and you've kind of had right. this nice natural progression. Um, what do you think has been like the best way you secured those jobs, especially those cruise jobs? I know you have a book dedicated to that, but Definitely. do you have any tips or, you know, how you actually broke into, um, like the, specifically the cruise jobs? Yep. And again, the interesting part is it basically comes back to talking to people who had done it before. So I had heard from some people that applying for a cruise ship job, for example, if you use the same resume format that you would use for a job on land, it's not going to work. They're looking mm-hmm. for something completely different. So I just talked to a lot of people who are already worked on ships or who were working on ships and I learned exactly what it takes to be um, a good 
crew member on board a ship what exa- or to make you know to make what will make you look like an attractive candidate for a position on a ship because they're looking for things that are different than a company on land so i just kept learning what what they really want to see and as a result i then formatted my resume i took my my education my work history my background everything all my experiences and i formatted it in a way that showed i have exactly what the cruise line is looking for and that's how i applied and got hired right away and uh, and it sort of took off from there so again i really do believe most of this stuff comes down to you know talking to people who have done it i mean that's the best way to learn is to is to talk to people who have done these things so that you can learn there's a lot less guesswork as a result so how did you find people who have actually worked on cruise lines was this an online uh chat room or did you walk and and you know stalk cruise liners as they're coming into port <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it would be impressive if i got through security but uh, no, um, <laughs> no basically uh i mean back then there really wasn't so much uh, opportunity to i had no idea like uh, i wasn't very web savvy in the early days mm-hmm. and i had no idea how to go find like online groups or anything like that so it just started where the, you know from the first person who ever told me about cruise ships he said oh, i have a friend if you ever want to talk to i said okay i got in touch with her and she was like oh i know somebody actually works on this cruise line now and works in this position if you want to yeah. talk to and it just kind of just kept going i just said oh sure and i just just through contacts of contacts of contacts, basically just kind of got in touch with them and just asked them some questions and, uh-huh. and learned about their experiences. I have a feeling that's going to be one of the moral stories of this interview is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's who you know and talk to people and, you know, connection. It's, that's an, one of the things I love about travel is even though you feel like you're away from maybe some of your family and friends, you get so connected with everyone around you and I would just say humanity as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I will always say, first of all, that like the main, I would have stopped traveling a long time ago if I was just traveling to see the sites. Mm-hmm. There are great sites out there. It's all, it's all fantastic. And you can see some amazing things, but for me, at least that, that kind of gets old after a while. It's all about the people. It's all about the networking. It's all about the interactions that you have with people that you otherwise would never have come across had you not traveled. And mm-hmm. that's what keeps me going. That's the old basic. I mean, that's pretty much the main reason why I'm still traveling. And and as a result, those connections, yes, again, like you said, I do miss my family and I do miss my friends from home and things like that. But just something about those interactions with all these fascinating people from around the world that happen every day when you're traveling that just makes me want to keep on, keep on, uh, keep on going. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, the, um, posts that I mentioned where you break down your money and how you afford that, I'm going to include that in the show notes and then also, um, you know, links to the, the books that you have, uh, especially that, uh, cruise line book, since we're talking about yeah. that right now. Um, as far as working on a cruise liner, I've heard that it is, you know, really hard work and obviously can be rewarding. Tell me what it was like for you. I know you worked for at least three different agencies. Yeah. Yeah, three different cruise lines, and basically the thing is, with the, it's very hard if you don't, if you haven't actually been on a ship working on one, to actually understand what the what the sort of uh, environment and lifestyle is like. It's it sounds like if you look at it on paper, yes, it sounds like a lot of hard. It sounds crazy because you know you can work anywhere from eight to twelve hours a day. You don't have a day off at all uh, during your four or six month contract. Um, you're at sea a lot, stuck on the ship. So it all sounds like, oh boy, that doesn't sound attractive at all. At the same time, once you're on board, the work-life balance, everything is all kind of intertwined. So your work doesn't actually feel like work a lot of the time because you're always around people. You're always on one part of the ship, another part of the ship. You have a few hours off in port, so you can go off into Barcelona or wherever you are to have lunch and come back. And it, it's sort of all these different pieces all mixed together. There's crew parties in the evening. So there's lots of things going on. So it's not your normal lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So with that said, it's not for everybody. But for me, I thought it was I thought it was wonderful. Like it's just a great way to to live it in a unique way, sort of get a little bit of a taste of all these different countries that you visit, save a, a good amount of money and also 
back to the the main theme here, I will always say the best part about working on a ship by far is the networking because you meet mm. crew members from 80 different countries on every ship, passengers from all over the world, and those connections are, are more valuable than any of the other uh, positive aspects. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, actually, I didn't think about that. I, you know, I've enjoyed cruise before and I really like the international feel of the uh, staff. Yeah. But yeah, of course, if you're working on that, those, that would be invaluable. Yeah, you have friends all over the world, just like that. After one contract, you have friends all over the world and you never know where any of those you know, connections lead. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Now, after you switched from, you know, working on cruise liners and teaching English, you started realizing it was like 19, oh God, I think it was a 2006 maybe when you started realizing I should make a blog. And oh, 2000, uh, 2009. 2009. Yeah. Okay. And so that's when com was established. Is that correct? Yep. yep. Okay. The end of 2009. Yeah. And you were looking at ways to, you know, make money online, kind of transition, probably open up more freedom, I'm assuming. Um, one of the things you, you looked at was affiliate marketing. Tell me, yeah. tell me that road for you and how that worked out. Yeah, sure. So basically, before I actually started the blog, I had about a year of experimenting. A friend of mine gave me a book that talked about different ways to earn money online. So I just kind of went through them and, and saw what... I wanted to try. One of them was affiliate marketing. So I did set up several, uh, several websites basically that were, you know, promoting various products or services that I knew about. I did it in a sort of an, basically in an honest way. It was all stuff that I had mm-hmm. used or that I actually, you know, that I thought were useful for other people and, um, basically promoted them. And some were through like, uh, Amazon, uh, dot com or mm-hmm. through different companies. And yeah, you get a little bit of a commission for mm-hmm. if anyone does click on the links and go. So um, it worked out and it basically gave me a taste. I wasn't into it. The amount of work that I was putting into it, I wasn't enjoying it very much. Mm-hmm. But I did realize it did give me the realization that, wow, I just put in some effort for this and it did pay some dividends. So mm-hmm. there are ways to actually do this. So again, I looked, continued in the book and talked to other people. And a friend of mine, again, said, Man, well, if that's not for you, maybe why don't you try a blog? I know these, these things called travel blogs, and I'll be perfectly honest, I had never even heard of them at that time. I had no idea. And I did some research on that, and that's sort of when I was like, all right, I'd like to give that a try, and I switched over, over to that. Mm-hmm. And then do you continue with any of the affiliate marketing, or did you mostly now use more like Google Ads and things like that on um, I don't use Google Ads or anything like that, so I do do affiliate marketing, but pretty much all on my blog and through sites that are related to the blog, basically, mm-hmm. through like the, the websites that sell my ebooks and things like that. So it's all mm-hmm. sort of related products. Like, you know, I have a travel gear page, mm-hmm. for example, on my, on my blog that's very popular where I put up all the stuff that I, that I use and, and just talk about them to see if they're, you know, if they may, might be useful for other travelers. So there, there is. If you do click on and buy, buy something, obviously, that commission does come my way. So it's sort of more, everything is more tied into the blog these days. Mm-hmm. And then is that mostly through Amazon Associates or do you have any other um, partners you like working with? Um, so I do mostly through Amazon Associates. However, I do also use like uh, there's one for flight bookings. I use Jet Radar. It's a mm-hmm. new site that I it, not all the time, but when they come up with low fares, they're ridiculously lower than other websites. I don't know. I still don't have a grasp on how they do it, even yeah. though I communi- communicate with them quite often. So I do think it's very valuable. So there are a few sites, travel related sites like that, that I just that I do use myself a lot and I believe in and. And uh, yeah, and throw those on there too. Okay, yeah. Have you heard about Ryanair? How it's supposed to be coming to the U.S. and offering cheap flights to Europe? Have you heard anything I, about that? I read about that, and then I read another article, like just a couple days after that, saying that they just in their latest board meeting just decided that it's not going to happen. Oh gosh! At, at least, at least not until 2018. <laughs> Oh man, like, what a tease! <laughs> yeah, it was a huge tease, right? Yeah. I mean, they came out and gave a formal announcement that we're going to do it as low as fourteen bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they took that away a few days later. Oh so, man, brutal. Yeah, 
<laughs> okay, yeah. well, you've been to 88 countries, but one thing I've noticed is that you cannot get enough of India. <laughs> Tell me about <laughs> India for you, because you've been like a million times. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just one of those countries or the country basically where, you know, no matter how many times I go, which has been about uh, 15 now, like I just, you know, every day I'm seeing things or hearing things or tasting things or learning things that I've just never experienced before in my life. It's, uh, you know, it happens obviously in other countries, but some there's just something about India that's so different than a lot of the other places uh, that, uh, that I traveled that it's just so appealing. I'm not saying India to me. I don't look at India like I go there for an amazing, relaxing vacation. It's not that. I go there for a challenging educational experience, and that's what happens every time I go. And I think I need it there because it helps balance all my other travels as well. I mean, every country I go to for a different reason, Mm -hmm. and uh, some of them obviously are much easier to travel around than others, uh, Mm -hmm. both physically and mentally. But for India, I somehow, for me, I need a dose of India uh, as often as I can, as it's somehow I, I just need that that intensity, that constant education that the country provides that I haven't been able to find anywhere else. Wow. So it kind of keeps you on your toes and out of a rut? Yeah, it keeps, exactly. It keeps me on my toes because no matter what, you know, no matter how I'm thinking about life, I'm going to see things over there that are going to challenge all of my beliefs about life and mm-hmm. the way I think about everything. And I think that's just, for me at least, it's a very healthy thing to make sure I don't get too comfortable with, you know, with my, with my routine or my thoughts and to make sure that I'm always challenging myself uh, and that's one country that uh, will gladly take that role. Yeah, you can count on them, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't fail. They don't fail with that at any time. Well, tell me what uh, a favorite, you know, one of your favorite experiences or stories from your travels there. Sure, um, I would say one of my mo- one of my favorite experiences when I did a big loop around from Delhi back to Delhi, going up into the like the, the Kashmir region, basically straight across the Himalayas into beautiful Kashmir, which is. Just, uh, I mean, very few tourists there, and it's just this paradise that feels like you're on another planet. And the people there, because they're not having so many, so much tourism there, were just, uh, it really was. You come through this tunnel on the other end of the Himalayas, and suddenly you're in this massive green valley that is Kashmir. And just the people and everybody, it's so isolated that I've never felt so welcome. So, I, I mean, I really, somebody could have told me that I just ended up on another planet. I would have believed them. And uh, that is just one corner of that country that I will never forget because everything I did was so special. Just you have the snow-covered mountains surrounding you. And again, with these people who, who are in very little contact with, with tourists, mm-hmm. um, just the way they were so excited that some people were coming, that uh, just the way they showed me their, their land was was pretty, was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a positive one. Then that's the thing. Most of the, my... Most of the memories from India that stand out are pretty crazy stories, I would say, um, of things you know mm-hmm. um, that uh, that I that I definitely won't forget again. That go more along the lines of challenging me. Um, yeah, well, let's hear some of the crazy ways. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Well, one of the crazy ones, which uh, from what I hear from from some of my Indian readers, it's not as crazy to them, but for me, it was pretty crazy. Um, I do lead tours around uh, India now as well, and I was leading a tour, and uh, this was last year, and we were in the train station waiting room, waiting for our train. I had to go use the restroom, so I walked out of the waiting room, walked down the platform, and as usual in an Indian train station, there's people just laying down, sleeping on the platform everywhere, and there was guys to the right, families over here, there was one guy to the left laying down against the wall, and uh, okay, everything was normal. I went to the restroom for a couple minutes, came back out, I'm walking back to the waiting room, and I walked by this guy who was a few minutes ago sleeping next to the wall, and I stopped, I just froze, and I looked at him, all of a sudden his head, now his head was actually on his knees. 
What? So yeah, so he was actually dead, and his head was completely sliced off, clean uh-huh. cut at the neck. His head was balancing on his knees. He had it was still had full of color, uh, no blood, and I'm standing there just in shock. And all of a sudden, one Indian guy walks up with his cell phone, starts taking pictures. Another Indian guy walks up, looks around, grabs the head by the hair, lift, looks at, lifts it up a little bit, looks at it in the eyes, like well, and puts it back down on the knees. Oh my god! There was like three police officers, uh, maybe 15 feet away, were just kind of looking at it, but leaning on their sticks and drinking chai. And I was just like. I have no explanation for this whatsoever, and I started to get a little nauseous since yeah. I was about I was about five feet away from it, and I was like, I gotta I gotta get out of here, and then I left, and that stuck with me for a long time. I bet it I bet it would. <laughs> so it's kind of stuff like that that happens on a more regular basis than pretty much anywhere else that really just messes with your head. But to me, I look at it in a good way that it sort of shakes things up a little bit and have to do a lot of thinking. Yeah, that would that would definitely make you go inward, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. That was a, I did not sleep on that night night no. train. Yeah. yeah, you know, I was a paramedic for ten years and right. you know, I've seen some I've seen some gruesome things, but um that that is such an abnormal, you know, scenario, yeah. the whole together. I can't say I've and yeah, no explanation, no nothing, and it's just it was just. And the cops were just on anything. coffee break or chai break or whatever. You know, like. it took them about twenty minutes before it was actually covered up. Wow! So I went back to the waiting room and told my group, and one of the guys was like, "I gotta go see it. I gotta go see it." And he went, mm-hmm. saw it, and then the next person who went then went and said it was covered up. So. Oh wow. Yep. So well, there you go. There's India, part of it. That's India. You have, you know, like obviously the amazing sign you were saying before. Um, when you were seeing those like green valleys, experiencing that hospitality, do you think that you had the emotions of like peace or like, serenity, or was it more like euphoria? What do you think was the strongest inside of you when you were in those favorite areas? Yeah, for me, I would say that it's this feeling of just, uh, yeah, I guess in a way it would be a feeling of peace. Um, just because you're in such spots that are just so beautiful beyond words that, you know, and, and, and when I say beautiful, it's not only just the landscape, it's with the people and the way they, you know, the way they welcome you and, and, and stuff. That's the whole combination of everything that just, yeah, it just makes you kind of forget about the outside world or everything outside of it and just really focus on the now right there. And just to really enjoy, uh, just to really enjoy, yeah, I guess the peaceful, the peaceful atmosphere, both outside and within that, uh, that comes from that comes from just being in such a place. Travel's great for that, for putting you into the now, because, you know, hey, I'm not going to see this place again. It gives you that yeah. added incentive. I, I think that's a phenomenal thing for people. It's a, a struggle now to be where you're at and, and experience this. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's one good thing about travel, because you notice in sort of non-traveling life or back home, it's very easy, and I, I notice it, obviously, in most countries now. You know, everybody's just they want to be on their phone or want to be on the mm-hmm. on their computer all the time which i do it as well when i'm working and when i'm in other countries so it's it is good in travel every now and then it's one of those last things that can still shake us up and make us forget about all that and really mm-hmm. just concentrate on on what's around us and what mm-hmm. we're experiencing right then and there yeah yeah it's a very healthy thing absolutely so tell me a little bit more about your tours. They're called uh, wandering, um, wandering tours. Is that correct? Wand- wandering Earl tours. Wandering yeah. Earl tours. Um, tell me how you got into that and how it's going and what you like about it. Just kind of chat sure. it out. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, it basically started because people were emailing me through the blog and saying, "I'd love to travel with you. Like, can I come and travel with you on your wherever you're going next?" And you know, as nice as that was, obviously it was a little bit tough to organize that. So I was like, "Well, it might not work." And 
And, but then more and more came in and I started to look, see a pattern that most people were asking if they could travel with me in India. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, maybe I could just organize something and get everybody to come at the same time and we'll see how that goes. So I pretty much did it without any research. I just, a week later, I just picked some random dates. I picked a, I kind of calculated in my head how much it would cost and just came up with a price and said, okay, here we go. Here's a, a tour to India. Anybody want to join him? Within 24 hours, it was sold out. So I was like, oh. And then I was like, that's interesting. And then uh, <laughs> I think I stumbled upon something yeah, here. <laughs> and I was like, I guess I got to organize this tour now. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I went ahead and did it, and it was a success. It was fantastic. It was so great. And people were asking, oh, where else are you going to do tours? And yeah, so I said, okay, let me try. And so I slowly started rolling out a couple more. I did one to, to Mexico and to Romania and Istanbul. Mm-hmm. And it, I just started offering more and another one to India. And they kept selling out, they kept filling up. So, um, I kept going with it, and this year I've already offered. Uh, I have. I'll have six through June, and then I'll have be offering announcing another six for the second half of the year as well. And uh, I love them. Like it's just the main reason I started them was to, you know, help people travel to places that they otherwise wouldn't go on their own. And and that's you know that's how it starts with India, a place that a lot of people want to go that but they don't necessarily want to go on their own. Fair enough. And um, that's the idea of these trips. And. And uh, I kind of organize them in a way that we travel similar to how I would travel if I was just traveling on my on my own. So we, we don't use bus, big buses. We don't. Uh, it's not. We don't stay in you know sort of hotels outside the center. We're right in the heart of things. We walk around in the lanes of the old city in, in Delhi and all this stuff where you don't see any tour groups. And we make it happen. We do. We get right in there and uh, we eat at places that you won't see any tour groups, anything like that. So it's basically exactly what I would do if I was traveling on my own. And that's sort of the idea to give that kind of experience to, to others. And, and like I said, I absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, and it keeps growing. And I just, yeah, I love offering these tours. Well, that's great. Do you see this as your, your next big stream of, of income because you're enjoying it so much? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I do, it's grown to the point actually now where I actually don't even lead all the tours. Mm-hmm. So, um, I lead a few of them to places like Istanbul and, uh, Romania and, uh, in India, but some other ones like actually one just finished today, uh, in Thailand and Cambodia. So I had a two week Southeast Asia. So yeah, it's kind of, uh, I wouldn't be able to lead them all because that would be, that would be a little bit much. So now that this balance is kind of working out, I do see this becoming more of a sustainable, uh, you know, business option in the, in the future as it's just uh, word is spreading and, uh, mm-hmm. and it's okay if I don't don't lead the tours and it seems to kind of be coming together and so do you have other tour leaders that you know you've made relationships with this in these countries or how are you yep that's how you're doing it pretty much so I have a very good contact so actually like for example Southeast Asia all my Southeast Asia trips are led by a friend of mine who's been living in uh, Thailand for 15 years so he speaks Mm -hmm. fluent Thai fluent Khmer he's led tours for other people you know uh, Mm -hmm. over a hundred of them in the area he does exactly a similar style to how I do it. That's, that's the main thing is that we don't want your standard tour. He, he does these tours in a way that just like he was traveling by himself and, and that's it. And we work together on the itinerary. And so, yeah, so I have these contacts now in the different regions that, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, take over those operations. Now, personally, and with your businesses, um, how do you handle the language barrier? Mm-hmm. in every country <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it does get it does get tiring after a while but mm-hmm. at the same time to be honest in 15 years I've never been in a situation where I couldn't communicate and at the end of the day 
the truth is there is English spoken almost everywhere now and there's always someone around it. The worst case scenario, you find a school kid who just, you know, who's learning it in school. Mm-hmm. So that you'll, you'll never really be stuck between that, learning some of the local language, which I always try to make an effort to do no matter where I am, mm-hmm. at least the basics just to get things going. And, you know, and some body language that, you know, you combine that sure. and uh, never, never had a problem. Yes, there's different levels. You can't always have a deep conversation with a few words of two languages and body language, but mm-hmm. you'll never be stuck. And then... And then it just sort of depends. It's different for everyone. Some countries I learn a lot more of the language because uh, I find it to be easier. And some mm-hmm. countries it's just much more difficult. And I do rely on, on their English skills, which is, again, quite, quite common now pretty much in every corner of the world. So I was recently super sick in Peru and I got like pneumonia. I got a whole bunch of stuff at the same time. It sucked. (laughs) Luckily, I was like, you know, an intermediate Spanish speaker. And Mm -hmm. I was just thinking of how scary it would be to like not speak any of the language and then be in a hospital and not be able to communicate, you know, what's going on with me. Have you ever had any scares or gotten sick or gotten injured or anything like that? Um, I did last year. I got dengue fever while I was in Mm -hmm. uh, Indonesia. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I kind of, it was okay. Like a couple, I was with a couple friends and, and things like that. So it's never been in a situation like that. I think, yeah, it is difficult. And I think I knowing from some of my fellow traveler friends uh, who have been in such situations, you know, there's always options though. Like, uh, you know, one good thing is couch surfing. For example, I know people who have gotten sick and they quickly get on couch surfing and connect with a local person there who does speak English and ask if they can assist kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so there are ways to just quickly get into somebody that can come down and, and assist if you are in, yeah, if you are in a situation like obviously being very sick where you a little bit of communication isn't going to work. You want to make sure that the communication is quite mm-hmm. clear, obviously, when you're dealing with with health issues. So yeah, uh, yeah, I actually never thought of using couch surfing that way. That's a very creative <laughs> application. That's yeah, it's great. I actually, the funny thing is, I use couch surfing for different things, but I, I don't actually sleep on anyone's couches. <laughs> no, I've done it. It's actually really fun. But um, yeah, I'm sure it's fun. Yeah. I, I think as I work when I travel, and I work usually at night, late into the night, mm-hmm. and that makes it difficult just when I'm there. And I so I, I meet up with people all the time. I just I just don't don't sleep mm-hmm. on the couches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to host people when I was in Costa Rica, and I had extra room, need- and that was really that was really special. And then as far as sleeping on couches, I would say even one of my favorite experiences was in Chicago. <laughs> You know, here, yeah, yeah. There's some generous people out there. You know, that's one thing. Another thing I love about travel is is you really rediscovering the generosity of strangers. Yes, definitely. And you just and and the thing is too with all the media that we hear about all the stuff going on in the world. That's one thing that travel does remind me constantly is that the overwhelming majority of people out there are very good people Mm -hmm. who are willing to help and just want to live a happy life like like everybody else and and don't want to have any enemies and that yes you can rely on them and mm-hmm. and uh, and like you said that they're just they're very generous people and uh, in any way that they that they can be mm-hmm. so speaking about you know everyone else um i love I love how honest you are in your blogs, and you recently um, had an entry that said, I'm confused about life just like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me about kind of, you know, where you're at and what, what you've been going through that inspired you to write a blog like that. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, uh, I think a lot of times people do take this travel lifestyle and just, which I know that they do because I get the emails and the comments that they just think, wow, that's, that's the most perfect dream lifestyle possible. Um, my point in all of this and with my blog that I tried to stress is that it's just another lifestyle. It has its ups, it has its downs. I'm going to get depressed and just like people do, you know, staying in one place, I'm going to go through everything that everyone goes to. Just, I'm just living it. I just made a different lifestyle, Mm -hmm. lifestyle choice. And, you know, I think with the blog, it, it grew quite a bit over the last two years. It became quite intense. Just, uh, the amount of emails and the amount of, uh, 
you know, comments I was getting. And I always, you know, sw- made a promise to myself that I would reply to all of them at all times. And just as the tours began to grow and a couple other projects, I started like a, I'm working on a couple startups as well. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of all came together. My travel schedule became ridiculous where I was traveling, you know, flying over 70 times, I think last year and just, bouncing all over the ocean, across the ocean too much. It just kind of all came together. And I was, then I got dengue fever and that kind of just, that kind of just was like at the end, I was just like, okay. And in a good, in a, in a way I'm happy I kind of got the dengue fever because mm-hmm. it, it, I had no choice but to stop and slow down. Mm-hmm. And I came back to the U S where my family is just to relax for about a month and a half. And I just, I did nothing. And that was when I kind of realized that this is when I made these realizations that I was extremely confused. Like my life had kind of gotten out of control. I kind of lost track of what I wanted to do and where I was going. Cause I was trying to work on so many projects at once and mm-hmm. just stretching myself too thin. And, and so again, the dengue fever gave me some time to mm-hmm. stop, sit back and, and kind of think things through a little bit and come up with a, a way that I could be a little more healthily, healthy, uh, mentally and, and physically and, and still continue doing the core of what, what I love to do. Isn't it interesting how our bodies will shut us down when we need to be? And in your case, yeah. a mosquito would shut you down. Yeah, right. We need yeah. to be yeah. a very you, intuitive you, mosquito. mosquito. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, the uh, Nora Dunn from you know the professional hobo. Yeah. She yeah. shared that you know she was obviously was like sort of on the verge of being a workaholic, working all the time before yeah. she you know entered her travel world. And um, yeah, she had to get really sick before she realized that this was not what she wanted her life to be. And and it happens yeah. for a lot of us. We need a, like a reset. A re- Boot. That's a reboot. It's not pleasant, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, it's absolutely, it's not pleasant. But like you said, it does happen to. I know several people that exa- that, it, that it has happened to. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, like you said, yeah, your body just at some point it makes sense. It just can't take it anymore, and that's it has no choice but to shut down. And mm-hmm. okay, for in most cases, that's that's a good thing, and it forces us to uh, to reflect. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned about your pace. You had you had uh, flown seventy times in one year. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, last year it was. That's insane. Yeah, I think I crossed the Atlantic Ocean seventeen times. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it was just got it was just it just got out of control. Yeah, yeah, that is that's a lot. Um, <laughs> so, what is your favorite intrinsic pace? It seems like every wanderer kind of has uh, a rhythm, whether it's <laughs> demanded or uh, by house sitting opportunities, or whether right, right. It, you know everyone's different. What's what's the deal with uh, your situation? Sure, like I've realized that you know I, that the best pace for me is to have a base somewhere, mm-hmm. and then to sort of use that time and that base for work. So for the last three years, I've actually had a base in in Romania, in Bucharest, Romania. So I kind of had a place there, and I would come and go. And when I was in Bucharest, I was there to work. So I would stay one month, maybe six weeks, two months, and just really focus on work. And then I would go and do my traveling stuff where I would still work, but much less. I was able to actually focus on the travel itself. And I would travel for a month or two months and then I would come back for a month and and catch up on work again. So that pace, I realized whatever the pace is for me, it has to have separation between work and travel because Mm -hmm. doing them at the same time was driving me crazy because I I just couldn't concentrate on either one fully. And everything was just so jumbled up that I just realized, you know what, I'm not enjoying it anymore. And that's when I knew I had to, had to change. So when I separate work, this time is just for work and this time is just for travel. Then things kind of sorted themselves out quite a bit. And, uh, 
and it became easier. So I'm not too big on how much, how many months or how slow or this. It's just as long as I separate it and I get, if I have work to do, I'll stop for a while and get my work done. If I don't, then I can continue traveling. And and as long as I keep them separate, I, uh, things tend to work out a lot better. Mm -hmm. Now, when you maintain a base, do you, um, pay rent at one flat and, and, you know, have that any time to come back to, or do you just say, this is the city I'm at, I'm basing at and rent different places every time you come back? Nope. So I do have one place. So I've got a little bit lucky with the Romania was sort of through a friend who had an apartment with uh, three bedrooms and the other people weren't there all the time. So I was able to keep, keep, uh, keep my stuff there and to keep the room. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was actually quite good. And, and the reason why I like, I prefer to have the same place is because part of the reason why I'm able to do, to work more efficiently when I'm at this base is because it's not my home, but it feels more like it. It's the same bed I come back to. It's the same apartment. It's the same neighborhood. I know the grocery store down the street. I know the, the neighbors. I have my set of friends. So that kind of feeling that makes it more like I'm coming home, that helps me sort of get into a work routine much, much more quickly. And I can work a lot, a lot better than if I just kind of was, even if it was the same city, but I'm always kind of changing neighborhoods and yeah, that's tiring. Changing regions. Yeah. It's tiring. And it, I know, I know myself, like my work routine wouldn't, wouldn't fall into place the same way it does with, with being always in the same spot. Well, that's an, an interesting um, note too, that the self-awareness you have to have to, you know, make all the thousands of decisions that you have as a wanderer and make the right ones and figure out, you know, what yeah. works for you. No, and I think it's important. I, I like to mention on my blog quite a lot is that it's very important as often as you feel necessary to stop and really reflect on what you want from life or what, at that point, what your interests are, what your goals are, and to make sure that you're doing, you're on the right path that, you know, that will help you achieve that or that you're, you haven't strayed off because it's very easy to stray with this kind of a lifestyle just because, like you said, there are so many decisions and it's very easy to get caught up in all of it and, and suddenly just lose track that, of the fact that you're, you're going in a direction that's not what you wanted. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's very important to stop as often as you can to just make sure that, that you are actually staying true to what you, what you need. Yeah, and your needs will constantly change. So if yep. you're still working towards what you know you thought you were need, you're needing, if you haven't yep. checked in with yourself, yeah, that could definitely exactly. And you don't want out. to cover up any changes. You want to make mm-hmm. sure you're aware of any changes and and go with it because that's perfectly acceptable. Obviously, people change, things change, all the circumstances mm-hmm. change all the time, and and uh, yeah, we want to make sure that we uh, don't ignore that. So as far as uh, we just touched on how many decisions you have as a wanderer and an entrepreneur, um, sometimes that is incredibly overwhelming, you know. And talking to your peers. At, at home, you know, they'd say, you know, you have all this freedom. They romanticize it, and they think right. like, oh yeah, poor you, to me, where to go next, you know, and <laughs> yeah, and right. that can actually be really um, hard to whittle it down when you have so many options. It can actually be a pretty big source of stress if you allow it to. How do you manage that? Um, how do you decide where you're going next and make those decisions? Sure, yeah, it is difficult. And uh, the way I've tried different methods over the years, and at the end of the day, now I just kind of leave it. It's very random. I actually normally don't know where. I'm going until about two weeks before. So if I just happen to hear uh, about some place that I think, wow, that would be great, and I can look and I can find a good flight, and it seems about the right good time of the year to go, then I'll just go. Or if a friend of mine is like, I'm, I'm going to be here, do you want to come over? And I look again, and it just all seems to work, then, then I go. Um, so it's now, these days, that's one good thing about the blog is that I also now mm-hmm. have connections in all over the place and things are going on. I, I kind of hear about different events and that are happening all over the world. And so I kind of can just follow those a little bit. Um, 
yeah, based on what what is feasible with uh, with flights or, or however I need I need to get there. So these days, yeah, I don't actually put too much thought into where I'm where I'm going to go next. It just kind of happens, mm-hmm. and uh, I do do my tours, so that kind of dictates uh, where I go to some extent. Obviously, I do need to be where some of the tours are that I lead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but for, I mean, a good example is last year when I finished my India tour, leading my India tour, I, the tour was over. I had no flight out of India. And I was like, where should I go? I went on Kayak Buzz and looked at the cheapest flights, and it was a flight for less than 200 bucks to Kyrgyzstan. So I okay, the next day I flew to Kyrgyzstan. I knew, <laughs> I knew nothing about Kyrgyzstan. I knew nothing. All I knew was you get a, a visa on arrival, and that was it. And, I flew, and that was one of, the, one of the highlights of my 15 years of travel. So, was was that was that the country or was the fact that you could fly by the seat of your pants? Well, the, well I love the fact that I could fly <laughs> by the seat of my pants, but the country, like I had never, it never had even crossed my mind that I would ever be there at any time, and all of a sudden, that and then within within ten minutes, I had booked a flight there, and the next day I was there. Like, and what was so, your favorite part of that country that was that left it, you know, such high in high in your sights? Honestly, the whole country, there was zero tourists there, uh-huh. and it is like. The whole country is just mountain, snow-covered mountains with mountain lakes. You have your nomads with the, with the yurts out there. The hiking opportunities were unbelievable, and nothing is set up for tourists. So you want to go hiking in the mountains, you just show up in this village, and uh, you just, like, I would just use my fingers, like, as if I'm walking, just like, where do I walk? And someone would just <laughs> point to a path, and you just go up this path. Next thing you know, you're on this plateau, and then you're walking between these mountains. Suddenly, a shepherd comes out of his hut and is you can't communicate, but suddenly you're in his hut and he's showing you around and then he puts you on a horse and takes you to the next village. I mean, it's just like one thing <laughs> after another. There's just, it's all just, of a sudden you're married and you didn't even know. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> this chick walked around you three times and now she won't go away. No, <laughs> luckily it didn't go that far. No, just but, kidding. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, but that's the thing. It was just one of those countries that seemed so untouched and everywhere you went. I, I, yeah, it was just another experience that I never imagined I would have. And, uh, for a tiny little country, I mean, every That's corner was amazing. just had something else to offer. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to take you back to Romania. What what about Romania made you decide it's going to be your temporary hub? And yeah. um, and then, of course, I have to hear about how you got kicked out of Romania as well after you're done with that. You don't want to know. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Romania, I was actually just traveling through through Eastern Europe, through, through the Balkans, and uh, back in 2011, and... I actually had to get to Istanbul, and so my plan was to skip through Romania in a few days. I got to Bucharest, and just through a reader of my blog that was there, and he said, oh, you should come out tonight. I'm, I'm here. I'd love to meet you, and I have some you know, local friends, and okay, we just kind of met. I met these people. I was like, wow, these people are super nice. This is cool, and I was like, they were like, oh, you have to go north. You have to check out this town, and this town. I was like, okay, maybe I'll stick around for a little bit longer. I went farther north. I met some more people. I was like, wow, these people are great. Like, I really like this country. I knew nothing about it. And before I know it, I was back in Bucharest, and I was like, you know what? I, I think I want to stay. And, like, <laughs> it just kind of I – was, I was tired at the time, and I was like, wow, I really have work to do. It just kind of all fell together. I was like, I think I'd stay for a while, and that's kind of how, how it all began. Um, I stayed. I kind of left – came back and then I applied for residency visa back in 2012 and I got it for 2013. That was no problem. So I stayed at a temporary residency. So I was able to come and go as I please. And, um, I've been basically been doing that for the last three years. Um, yeah. Until, until 10 days ago when, uh, <laughs> kind of all changed. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Yeah. To be honest, I'm not too sure. Like uh, I had applied for residency again in December. They accepted my application, told me to pick up my uh, residency card and first week of March, basically. Uh-huh. Um, I was in India, and at, after my India tour ended, I flew back to Romania on the first week of March. I arrived at the airport, 
Uh, they swiped my passport. The immigration officer said, ah, we see you have residency. Do you have your residency card on you? And I said, I don't. I, I was told to pick it up. Like now, I'm going to pick it up tomorrow. He said, okay, no problem. Let me in. I went the next day to go pick up my residency card, and they told me basically it had been refused. So um, wow. that was that. And uh, basically, as a result of that, I had overstayed my tourist visa because I was technically there illegally because I had already stayed 90 days within a 180-day period. So I was there illegally. So yeah, the next day I left um, and and that was that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing actually. I mean, it's it's fine with me. Like I'm I'm not complaining about it at all. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. fine. It just happens. I mean, that happens. No problem. Um, it's mm-hmm. unfortunately it's turned into quite a controversy in Romania though at the moment. So really? it, you know, it's all over the news blogs and all over. You have no idea. And I've received endless hate mail, uh, unfortunately, oh, no. uh, last huh. few days. Yeah. Pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. Some people I think just, uh, clearly misinterpreted my posts and thought it was sort of a rant against Romania, which I'm not sure how they interpreted that. Yeah, but, um, no, I didn't see that at all. But there was obviously there's obviously some deeper issues over there um, with their history and just the frustration of, of some of the limitations they have, I guess, on travel and things like that that mm-hmm. sort of came out as a result of the post. And yeah, it's been all over all over the news uh, in, in Romania. Um, so um, they never offered sort of a reason why you were declined. They didn't offer an official reason. The official reason was basically that there was insufficient reason. That was what was on the letter that they handed to me. Um, but after some further conversation. The lady, the immigration officer, who was very nice, she just mm-hmm. told me that during the meeting where that they had, which was between her and her superiors over my visa application, she said her superiors, this, the, some of the reasoning they gave was that uh, as a blogger, basically, if they need a blogger to promote Romania, they could find a blogger at the unemployment office in Bucharest, for example, mm-hmm. or why do I need to be in Romania to promote it? I can promote it from outside the country, So, which is fine. Again... I, I mentioned the reasons because that's what they told me. Mm-hmm. I'm not upset about it. They, okay, they're not. I mean, obviously, you can look at that. There's, it's probably not the best reasons because you know there is some value to all of that. And they, I mean, you know, they yeah. don't get the best press, unfortunately, and they're not doing very well with promoting tourism. So it does help. But okay, that was their that was their reasons. So mm-hmm. I I took it and left. And uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, people interpreted the fact that I wrote those reasons as as if I was ranting against the country, which I totally wasn't because. As anyone know who's read the blog, I, I love the country very much and its mm-hmm. people. So, mm-hmm. but I'm out. <laughs> you're out. You're out. So, it is a technical deportation or what? But what are you allowed to re-enter? Is there a wait time yeah. or? So yeah, basically the immigration at the airport was like, uh, "You've overstayed your visa," and I explained the story, and they were like, "Okay, okay, no problem." They were like, uh, "You technically can't come back for three months," so which is no okay. big deal. Yeah. That's, okay, that's not okay. the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, We'll see what happens with this big scandal because I could see maybe if they don't let me in again just because of all what's going on. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but we'll see. But at the end of the day, that's okay. I mean, that, that was that was a good stage of life, and uh, now move on to the next one. Yeah, no experiences. Big, no life has redirected you. It's all <laughs> no good. <laughs> yeah, totally fine. That's part of it. You can't take yeah. like sudden, unexpected, you know, situations like this. Uh, Long term travel is is not is not for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, flexibility. That's one huge, yeah, very huge, huge component you got to have. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I read in your blog, you know, on your funding page about how you know you're raising funds for various uh, causes, and how uh, one of them was like in case you ever get taken hostage or kidnapped, and then you put again. <laughs> Were you actually kidnapped, or uh, I was actually in uh, in Bangladesh. Um, it was a very bizarre three-day kidnapping, yes. <laughs> Tell, oh, I have to hear about this story. Uh, sure. Basically, I had, I had flown in from Bangkok, and at the time, 
um, if any guidebook or anything you read would say, if you arrive in Dhaka, Bangladesh at the airport after sunset, stay in the airport until sunrise. Okay. So my flight was delayed like 12 hours and I arrived after midnight. Okay. So like an idiot, I went outside (laughs) (laughs) and I should have gotten an idea by the fact that a soldier had to unlock a huge bolt on the, on the gate to the airport. But I, that (laughs) kind of just thanked him and kept going. And then suddenly he was dressed up. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was, I don't know. It was a show for me, but uh, apparently it wasn't. And, um, yeah, then there was sort of a mob of taxi drivers that sort of surrounded me and, uh, were fighting for my business and I was like okay and I just chose one guy who spoke a little bit of English he walked me across this parking lot to uh, his taxi and the next thing I know they pushed me in and there was uh, four other taxi drivers in the car with me they locked the doors and off we went and I told them where I wanted to go and they just said we're not going to take you there we went to a gas station they made me pay to fill up the tank I was like okay this is weird and then uh, next thing I know they brought me to a massive slum area in the center of Dhaka to like an unmarked building and they it was the whole thing of they tried to get me to give everybody in the car some money and then they put me in this building in a room they locked me in this room that was cockroach infested room where they kept watch out front of the room and then basically for the next two days they kept moving me around to different buildings and also the goal was to take me to all the atms in town and use my card to take out money Mm -hmm. but i would just put my card in and type in a wrong pin number and say it doesn't work and that was it they never took my like they never took my stuff and they never they didn't have any weapons there wasn't like any very threatening they were pretty unskilled kidnappers let's mm-hmm. say yeah um, so when I realized that they didn't really know what they were doing I kind of just went along with it until the third day when we had just come back from an ATM again didn't work and they said go upstairs get your bag and come back down we're moving you again and on my way down I saw on one of the floors there was sort of a hallway that led to a like, I guess like a back exit of the building and I just ran down the hallway, down the stairs, out to the street, jumped in a rickshaw and went to the hotel that I wanted to go to three days before. Mm-hmm. So, so that was that in the end. So it was, yeah. a, so it was kidnapping, but it was uh, definitely, well, I'm pretty happy that it was uh, by some unskilled uh, kidnappers. Yeah. Some hobbyists apparently. Yeah. I think yeah. They, were, they were just testing it out to see if it was for them and I'm going to assume they're back to taxi cab driving. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That Were you terrified at all? I mean, I know they didn't have weapons, but you were clearly... In the beginning. Yeah. The first night I was terrified because I was like, okay, they had locked me in the taxi. I did pay some money to them the first night because I had no idea. Just gave like, I forget what it was, like 20, 30 bucks to each of the people in the car. And, uh, and I was in this locked room. I had no idea in the middle of the night. I had no idea what was going on. But the next day when I realized that, I'm like, wait a minute, I still have all my stuff on me. Mm-hmm. And they haven't shown any violence. And... They believed me when I said the ATM isn't working with my card. So I was like, okay, no idea what they're doing whatsoever. So then I was more relaxed. And they were pretty calm. They were calm. They would just come into my room every now and then and be like, "Um, give me $200 and give my friend here $200. I'd be like, why would I give... I would be like, first of all, why would I give your friend $200? I don't even know him. I was like, I could understand why you would want $200, but I'm not going to give it to either of you. And like, that's just how it was like ridiculous conversations. Wow. So it was pretty funny in the end. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised, you know, they weren't like, here, give me your bag. I'm going to see all the money you have on you. Let's stop with this whole yeah, like, back I don't, and forth. I, yeah. I don't know why I do that. Huh. So, well, bizarre. I'm glad that that wasn't as bad as it could be. <laughs> yeah, me too on that one, yeah. yeah. Did you and get then, fed or were you kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, very, like, uh, which is pretty common. I mean, it's a very poor country, so it was yeah. pretty basic. Like, they did take me a couple of, like, small little local places. And, mm-hmm. yeah, we just would get very basic, like, rice and a and like lentils or something and Mm -hmm. just simple and 
and that was it yeah I mean it was just and I loved it and then I left after I left Dhaka I mean I had a great time in the country for two weeks after that mm. so uh, take home message don't leave the airport when it's bolted and, and guarded by a security <laughs> by, yeah, a, by a that's, yeah, that should go soldier. at the top of the list <laughs> yeah <laughs> man well you know speaking of incidences um, do you ever purchase like international health care or travel insurance or how do you manage that or yeah, so uh, I do have uh, so I have insurance for all my belong my possessions always, and then I have for health insurance these days. I've switched. So I used to have travel insurance for most of the time when I was away. Now I actually have just private insurance back in the U.S. And then I supplement it with uh, with travel insurance in certain de- destinations. So sort of my main thing being is if something serious happened, I would probably rather come back to the U.S. and, and get taken care of and health insurance uh, travel insurance will often fly you back to your home country but then their coverage stops there right so right. knowing how health co- health care costs are in the u.s i would rather be covered for this portion <laughs> right now who did you use in the past with travel insurance uh so i used a combination i used world nomads and i also used i am global okay i've heard so, of those yeah yeah which are both i mean yeah i mean uh, obviously you can find bad reviews of any insurance company out there but they're in my experience, at least, both reliable and good customer service and, and affordable. Now, U.S. healthcare is really expensive to maintain, especially as an entrepreneur. Are you doing the Obamacare that's happening now? Uh, nope. Um, I actually don't qualify. So uh, mm-hmm. I actually, you know, I, I somehow it's a decent. I don't pay too much. Like, uh, yeah, it's not a bad plan. I don't know if it's just from having my home address here in Florida. I'm not sure how mm-hmm. it works exactly, but uh, I think I stumbled upon a pretty pretty decent plan. Mm-hmm. And what company is that through? With Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, very good. And and so do you put on a, um international rider, or what do you do for that? Yes, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I like seeing how everyone, you know, manages all the different logistics, you know. It's all different. Everyone has different goals with their wandering yeah. life. And so I, I yeah, like, it, you know, getting down to the nitty-gritty. <laughs> and, that, and that's the beauty of it is, like, everybody has everybody does it in their own way. So it's uh-huh. great. The more you talk to, the more you, you, you kind of you get more options for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I read on your blog that, you know, when you recently returned from Pakistan and Afghanistan, you had one hell of a, you know, welcome back with U.S. Yeah. customs. Tell me about that story. Yeah, just basically, uh, yeah, I traveled, backpacked around that region for a while, uh, back in, it was a while, back in 2006. And then, um, yeah, when I came back to the country, as I probably should have expected, they naturally, you know, were, were a little suspicious. So I went through a bit of a uh, bit of questioning, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, naturally, when they kind of went through all of my stuff, uh, they did find some items that might be labeled as suspicious. So you know, I had a I had a used bullet, which uh, in my pocket <laughs> of one of my pants in my thing, which. A, a young kid in Kabul had given to me as a gift after he had shown me around this this hill near his house and like for, saved you basically basically saved me because I was about to walk up this hill exactly that had these uh, landmines on them and he came out and stopped me and basically took me around the proper path that locals had made which uh-huh. was pretty hard for a outsider to figure out obviously and as a result uh-huh. he was a super nice kid and at the end he just gave me the bullet as a as sort of a yeah just a just a gift and so I put it in my pocket and never wore those pants again so off, uh, that that popped out of the pocket when I mm-hmm. when I came back to uh, immigration. Um, yeah, I had some a, a box of these uh, Osama bin Laden candies that they sell in, in Pakistan. I mean, I just bought them because I was like, this is bizarre. So I just bought a box of them. Um, I had a burqa, which the main reason I had a burqa was because man, when you see when you're in Kabul and you see all these people, it is just it's so bad that like I just wanted people to see how what these really are like because it's not what you think. It's it's much more much more restrictive than than people think and mm-hmm. 
I just kind of wanted to show that. And then I had this series of books from different people. One was sayings of Buddha. One was sayings of Jesus. One was sayings of Vivekananda. One was sayings of, uh, of the Prophet Muhammad. So naturally, the, uh, the uh, immigration officer, customs officer, kind of honed in on that one and kind of started yelling at me and asking if I believe in the words of the Prophet Muhammad uh, to my face. It was just so, it's kind of, you know, it was a, it was a bizarre time, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, they eventually let me go, of course, because I didn't really have anything um, of, uh, of substantial. And, uh, but it was interesting. I was put on sort of the watch list for a while, and every time I would come in and out of the country, definitely extensive searches of my laptop of everything um of all the time of course they, there was nothing on it so it just eventually uh eventually it seems I, I was taken off that list and did that only happen when you came to the u.s um or was most it everywhere? of it most of it happened when i came to the u.s um i have other issues like in well that's the thing when you do when you are sort of uh i can't say from a female but i know it when you're a sort of a youngish male traveling on one-way tickets mm-hmm. constantly around the world that's you're pretty in a pretty sweet spot for suspicion yeah so yeah uh, with a backpack so i will say i've had encounters in in austria where they thought I, I was smuggling drugs and they man they made me strip down to everything in front of everybody and walk through this metal detector and and take batteries out of my camera and take everything out of everything oh to go through the to go through the uh the x-ray machine because they thought they had somebody they took a knife and sliced open my backpack and things like that, and I obviously I had nothing. And uh, so you, it is unfortunate that's part of it. You are in a very suspicious uh, category during mm-hmm. those times. So mm-hmm. now I think I'm a little bit old beyond beyond it now that I'm 37, so I seem to be out of uh, the suspicion uh, part. Mm. Wow, yeah, that's... that's uh... God, that'd be stressful. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know that having a U.S. immigration or customs officer just screaming at you and not even saying like, "Yeah, he might have said a question, but he doesn't even want an answer." Or he's like, "Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah that sounds so is, frustrating." Was a young, he was a young guy, and and he was a young guy, and I could I could kind of see in his face based on my experience of traveling, he was he was afraid. Like he, I think he really thought that he found somebody mm-hmm. that they needed to find, and as a result, I could tell that he was. He definitely seemed quite, quite, quite afraid. And when he finally called over his supervisor, who was a lot more level-headed, asked some much different line of questioning, and then he was like, "Okay." And that's that's sort of when it kind of, came, you know, it was all, it was okay after that. But uh, up until then, this guy was really, yeah, he really, he really thought he had found somebody, uh, and uh, yeah, so he went, he went a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little, intense. A little overexcited, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely got a little so overexcited. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's definitely probably one of the more frustrating experiences. What would you say are some of your favorite experiences to date? All right. Um, wow. Uh, no, that's super hard. Impossible, that, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. I'll stop um, I would say, uh, yeah, okay. One, well, one, I, I'll give it two. Like one of my most uh, best experiences is when I stumbled upon this village on the island of Sumatra in uh in Indonesia, uh-huh. and uh, it's basically a little village on a crater lake called uh, Lake Mananjau, and okay. uh, there's sort of these tribal people that live there. And um, yeah, someone told me I should go visit it for the day from another uh, from another town I was staying at, and I went there and ended up staying for like two weeks of just meeting again. Again, for me, it's just, it's going to always come back to meeting people because it was just like. I just met these people who basically didn't let me leave. And I was in this, this village was so small and it was in this crater lake. So every evening at sunset, the clouds would filter through one crack in the crater 
and would fill up over the lake. And as a result, the way the sun reflected off the back of the crater, it would change colors from like red to green to purple, all natural. And wow. it happened almost every night. And it just blew me away. I had never seen anything even remotely like it. And the locals would just sit on the beach every night and just watch this. And it was like, wow. And that was one of my first like, wow, nature, wow experiences. I was just like, that is just surreal. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was pretty spectacular. Um, another one, when I worked on cruise ships, actually, we, I was fortunate enough to work on a ship that went around Hawaii. Uh, but, uh, due to U S laws, a cruise ship that starts in a U.S. port has to go to an international port at some point before it returns. Hmm. So we had to go. We couldn't just go around Hawaii. So every cruise, we would spend two days at sea to go to this island called Fanning Island, which is part of the uh, People's Republic of Kiribati, uh, basically right on the in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It was an island of about 300 people. They were barefoot and unclothed until the cruise ship came and asked them if they could put on some clothes while the passengers were there. I mean, they lived in open-air huts. There was no electricity at the time. They had no vehicles, no nothing. They were completely isolated from civilization. Um, their bank was a rock. They had a huge boulder, and under the boulder, they would people would keep money in plastic bags or, in some cases, just in holes in the ground. Um, wow. It was a really spectacular place, and I was fortunate enough to visit Man, I don't even know. Maybe twenty five, thirty times over the over the course of that of a couple contracts. Uh-huh. So wow, that's amazing. You've made me want to go to both of those places right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish people could go to Kiribati. I mean, there's no hotel. There's no yeah. nothing. Like, yeah. it's just, but is this this place is probably it's par- it's it's paradise. The people are totally cool. They like they just like they're very happy. They're like, oh, here we are in this tropical paradise. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, pretty special place. Wow, that's amazing. So out of your 15 years of travel, um, if you had it to do over again, would you change anything about your journey? Uh, the only thing I would change would be to try and have more of a purpose from, from the beginning. I think in my earlier years, I did wander around a little bit lost because I, I wanted to keep traveling, but I wasn't sure. I did, hadn't narrowed it down to exactly why or what I wanted to gain from the travels. Mm-hmm. I was just still in that sort of beginning fascination mode of everything's just fascinating. The world's just fascinating, which is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're traveling nonstop, that does yeah, get a little yeah. older a lot more quickly than you would think. So that's the only thing. And then as I learned, though, eventually I learned, it's like when I have a trip, I need there needs to be a purpose to it. There needs to be some structure to that trip so that every day I have a something that I, a, a goal that I need to, you know, to, to work towards that I, to make sure that I gain something specific from each of my travels. So, you know, once I figured that out, it all came together, but that's the only thing I wish that, uh, and I do give that advice to people who are just starting mm-hmm. off now is to try and just figure out why you want to travel and, 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 and just having that structure to your trip will make a huge difference. So the purpose you speak of is, uh, more of a day to day purpose and your goals or maybe month to month, not necessarily a purpose of your life in general. Exactly. Okay. I always say it could be different. Like, you know, like, and it doesn't have to be a grant. Like when people hear the word purpose, sometimes they gotta be some grand, mm-hmm. grandiose purpose, but no, it could be like, for example, I might go to, if I'm going to Bucharest, I'm going there to catch up on work. That's mm-hmm. my purpose. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to, you know, I might go somewhere to learn about the history or about the religion or to learn the language. You know, I would go to Mexico to learn Spanish or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just, it doesn't have to be, it could just be to relax. You might feel exhausted. You need to go somewhere and just yeah. totally chill out. That's still yeah. a purpose. Like mm-hmm. it just, just having something in your head of why you're doing the traveling, just in my opinion, at least makes, makes the big difference. 
Okay. Um, my last question for you, since we're running out of time, is what you said that that's one piece of advice that you would give to others. What are other pieces of advice that you would give to others who want to follow in your footsteps? Sure. I mean, uh, another big advice is really to just just try and spend some time online or even in person and just contact and communicate with people who are already doing what you want to do. Not specifically, because obviously everybody does it their own way, but people, if you want to travel long-term, find people who are doing it, write to them. People can always write to me. I reply to every email, mm-hmm. and I'm more than happy to communicate because the more you communicate with people that are doing it, the easier it's going to be for you and the more you're going to realize that there is nothing stopping you from doing it because you're going to hear stories if you think starting with $1,500 sounds crazy that's nothing compared to some people out there who have done you know started with absolutely nothing or travel for $5 a day or who have ended up in places that nobody would ever have imagined doing things you would never imagine so there's just so many ways and the more people you talk to and the more people you communicate with the more you're going to realize that there is nothing separating anybody out there who's doing it from from what you can achieve. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great advice, and I really appreciate having you on. It's been awesome talking to you. Your stories are amazing. I feel like I could sit with the you know a couple beers with you and have a blast. So yeah, we'll try to do that one day. No, yeah, yeah, good. we'll have to catch up and uh, connect in one of these places. Sounds good. No, I appreciate you having me on. All right, thanks a lot. Thanks for hanging with us. I hope you had a blast. If you know someone who would make a great guest on Earthy or you'd like us to cover a specific topic, reach out at earthydecor.com.